Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. Here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Hello, this is a special edition of the Lunch and Learn with your host, Dr. Barry. And today... I has to speak a topic on my mind. Normally, we wait for Thursdays to drop these episodes, but you know it was becoming so compelling that you know I just felt like I had to drop you know everything I was doing and you know put a podcast out there to kind of talk about a topic that's been all over the news and something that I've unfortunately been seeing talked about in an incorrect manner. So I just wanted to kind of put it out there. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about STDs. And we're also going to be talking about Usher Raymond. And as a fan of Usher Raymond, I thought I would never have to talk about STDs and uh, R&B host uh, that I like. But, you know, that's how uh, the cookie crumbles sometimes. And here we are. So very recently, probably in the past couple of months, you know, I've been seeing news reports on various SEDs and a couple of them. We're not going to touch on all of them today because there's a lot, unfortunately, that we can touch on. But we're going to talk about three. We're going to be talking about syphilis. We're going to be talking about gonorrhea. And then we're going to be talking about herpes. Of course, we're talking about herpes because of uh, Usher Raymond and all of his uh, recent uh, news reports of um, lawsuits regarding that. So I want to first, you know, talk about syphilis and we'll talk about the the quote-unquote rise of syphilis and like as always what we like to do is kind of give an introduction of what syphilis is what the diagnosis is and kind of go from there so syphilis is a scd of course it's actually divided by different stages and based on the different stages will depend on what they present and what you know a person will walk into my office for And just a side note, I can, and I've actually mentioned this in the past, a very common reason why I can get men to come to my office. One we talked about in earlier episodes of being erectile dysfunction. But the second one we talked about actually being due to getting STD testing. So fortunately, there's a couple of reasons, a couple of ways to get your men to the office is to either, you know, have some issues in the bedroom and... A couple ways to get your men in the office usually kind of revolve bedroom activities. One is either to, you know, spruce up the activity because there's some issues going on. And the second is usually because they want to get tested. So that's usually uh, a reason why I can get men to come in my office. But again, back to syphilis. You know, syphilis, again, is divided by stages and kind of depending on the stage will depend on the presentation of uh, the disease. And it's actually spread by vaginal, anal and oral sex and can't actually unfortunately be spread from a pregnant mother to their newborn and that's where i think syphilis takes a big uh point of emphasis for us is because of that fact that you can have that transmission onto the newborn and then cause very detrimental uh, effects and at this time there is no active blood test there is no blood test that will show any active infection right so i want to kind of throw that quick caveat out there right now just so we can kind of get a gaze of you know when we talk about syphilis you know kind of what we're dealing with so i'm going to talk about the different stages the first one is the primary stage of syphilis right so this is the initial stage this is a stage where you'll know you'll have a painless sore 
and painless is important when i talk about herpes you'll see why painless sore either located at the genitals either located at the anus or the mouth and it's usually firm and it's usually round and it usually lasts for about three to six weeks right so that's usually the first sign that you know what i got an infection and i need to go get checked unfortunately most people don't get checked at that time you know, I wish I wish I could say, you know, every time a person had any type of lesion that they would run to the doctor to get treatment, but it does not happen. That's the reason why we have so many different stages of syphilis. Our secondary stage of syphilis kind of presents as a patient with either a skin rash and uh, what we call swollen lymph nodes. So they'll see some of their glands are actually inflamed, usually around the neck, usually around uh, the armpit area become inflamed as well. And by this time, the secondary stage hits. Those painless sores I talked about in the first one are pretty much gone. And our third stage is uh, the latent stage, right? And latent really means uh, nothing happens during this stage, right? And what's the problem with this stage? This is a this the problem with this stage, the latent stage, is that because nothing happens, you don't get treated. Because you don't get treated, this disease lingers on in your body system for months and sometimes up to years. And I can tell you, I have, I've had patients in a hospital, and when I talk about the tertiary stage, I've had patients in a hospital, 50, 60, 70 years old, coming in with, you know, complaints of altered mental status or, you know, just not feeling right or just something like being off about them and then finding out they have syphilis then, right? So, and it could be a disease that, again, when I talk about years, I'm talking about sometimes maybe even decades. So it is a disease that will just kind of linger on in your system, causing problems in the background without you even knowing it. And the last stage of syphilis is that tertiary stage, right? And this the reason why this is such a bad stage, mind you, we went through the primary, we went through the secondary, we went through this long period where nothing happened. By the time you get to this tertiary stage, you know, you have what we can consider uh, syphilis affecting the brain, syphilis affecting the heart syphilis affecting the eyes and other parts of um, of the body as well too. Neurosyphilis is a very common cause for patients to end up in the hospital because they'll actually develop severe headaches, some dementia, again, that's that forgetfulness or just kind of confusion. They'll develop paralysis, almost like a stroke-like symptoms uh, because of the syphilis. And then actually develop vision disturbances as well. So it's extremely important to really try to catch this in that primary stage because we can because the treatment's all the same all three of these different stages the all four of these different stages the treatment's the same the problem is is if you start getting damage to the eyes and from the head and the brain all this other stuff a lot of those things become irreversible and those things we can't do anything about so it's very important to uh, really really one be mindful of syphilis be mindful of symptoms sores or anything that may occur and from the primary care standpoint or just from the physician standpoint be mindful of testing for it right especially because again your patients can have this latent phase for years and not even know it but why why like syphilis right why was syphilis one of the the stds i wanted to talk about because i read this article that talked about the rising tide of syphilis and according to the cdc you know, center of disease control, right? Syphilis, in particular, at primary and secondary stages, are at its highest rate in about 20 years. You know, from the year 2011, there's been a 67% increase in the rate of syphilis infections here in the United States. And this isn't one 
you know, population to be infected. This uh, rate increases infecting every region, every age group and every race and ethnicity. Right. So you really are not being able to, you're not going to be able to run away uh, from syphilis, which is pretty much what the numbers are saying. And this is a disease that we kind of had curtailed maybe 10, 15 years ago. And we thought that, you know, one day would be extinct. Right. Because, again, when I talk about the treatment, there's one there's one treatment that knocks out syphilis out of here and it's it's a penicillin shot but we can't even get people to do the penicillin shot one because they don't come to the doctor to get treated or they don't even know that they have it so it's a very and usually because they have the sore for those three to six weeks and then it goes away so they think everything's good to go and the uh, the heavily populated uh, communities who are affected now are gay and bisexual men. Um, they have they have always had the highest rates of infection in regards to it, but they're also uh, the ones who are most affected by it as well. But and what we're starting to see now is that women, uh, that group, just that group of women, are becoming an increasing uh, risk of getting syphilis. And because when I talked about uh, how you can actually pass it from the in the newborns. And, and I'm not saying when the baby is born. I'm talking about while the baby uh, is still inside. Uh, you can have syphilis damage newborn. So uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, transition transmission to mothers uh, during um, uh, pregnancy and during birth because of this. So that's why it's become almost a public health you know issue, right? Because we have a lot of we have a lot of things going right. Like everywhere, every corner you see. You'll see a Walgreens, you see a CVS, right? But most of those pharmacies don't actually carry the penicillin you need uh, to get treated uh, for the syphilis. So and a lot of times you have to go to the health departments. But what's happening, especially in this day and age, we're having fewer clinics and fewer health departments just kind of like across the United States, right? Because of funding and everything else. And even when you do have those those public health departments in your area, a few of them are actually even getting the treatment course to need it, right? So again, so you may have a health department in your your city, but they may not even have the treatment for syphilis in the city, right? And that's and that's where you know again the the public health aspect uh, in medicine is, is so huge, right? Because we're seeing how much of a public health detriment it's becoming uh, when you don't have the infrastructure and the support system uh, for it, right? They they took away money. Uh, to support these uh, endeavors, to support these clinics, to support these health departments. And now we're starting to see some of the effects from it. So what the CDC wants us to do, right? And again, it's they want us to do a couple of things, right? They want, they want us to, you know, try to figure out some new tools of how to even prevent it or even treat it, right? Because again, we have the same treatment and it works, but, you know, we want to have some newer ways to get to that point, right? So you're not having this increased risk. So we're trying to like reverse uh, the number of people who are getting it instead of just treat the ones who do have it. We want to focus on specific populations. Again, we're going to focus on our pregnant women. We want to focus on our gay and bisexual men and in particular we want to focus on the healthcare providers as well you know we want healthcare providers to really get to the point where they're taking extremely accurate histories and you know and for a lot of people i know in my my case a lot of my patients in my outpatient practice um i used to always when i did my std screening i would always you know check for syphilis right so even if you had no symptoms right i would check for syphilis and they would always ask me well you check for syphilis so i don't have any sores well i say well you don't have any sores now but maybe you might have had sores you know 
few years ago. He didn't really pay any mind because it went away so quickly. So I'm I'm very diligent on you know doing my STD screening for pretty much HIV and chlamydia, gonorrhea, and then I'm checking for syphilis as well. So so that's definitely something we want to like make sure we add on there, kind of moving forward. And I think. If we do those things, that's where the benefit will come in terms of treating and trying to reduce this number. Because, again, in the past 20 years, right, 67 percent more are being affected by syphilis. And that's going to be a problem uh, in the long run. So we're going to move right on into our second. And we're going to talk about an article I read that said superbug is now resistant to azithromycin. And for those who may not know what azithromycin is, right, if you have ever had a cold and or ever went to a you know urgent care center, emergency room or even your doctor's office and you were given a Z pack, that's what azithromycin is. And what what that article talked about is how now the sexually transmitted disease and we're talking about gonorrhea now, how gonorrhea there are strains that are becoming more and more resistant to azithromycin, right? And why is that important? And we're going to talk about why that's so important, especially in this day and age, right? So I just want to kind of give some numbers on gonorrhea just so you can kind of see what we're dealing with from gonorrhea aspect. 800,000 people will be infected by gonorrhea each year. And this is 800,000 new people. 800,000 new people will be affected by gonorrhea each year. Fewer than half are reported. So think about that, right? So fewer than half are reported, and I've already told you that 800,000 people will be affected uh, by gonorrhea, right? So that's a lot of people who are walking around with gonorrhea, who won't get treated, and who are going to get a lot of side effects that we're going to talk about. There is an increased chance of getting HIV in patients who have gonorrhea. There's an increased chance of becoming infertile in patients who have gonorrhea. There's an increased chance, especially for women, to have ectopic pregnancies because of gonorrhea. So, again, gonorrhea is one of those SCDs that causes a lot of problems if we're not, you know, uh, you know, taking advantage of it and really putting it at the forefront. Since the 1980s, since the 1980s, this gonorrhea, this STD, sexually transmitted disease, has become increasingly resistant to almost everything we throw at it. Since the 1980s, we used to do uh, oral antibiotics, didn't work. We did another oral antibiotic, didn't work. Some of the, in fact, for example, right, the treatment course that we use in the United States for gonorrhea, we can't even use in other parts of the world. So that's the kind of showing you how how significant gonorrhea has been, especially from an antimicrobial aspect and how quickly it's becoming uh, resistant to a lot of things that we're trying to throw at it. So what is gonorrhea, right? So gonorrhea is an STD, again, affects the genitals, affects the rectum, and as well as affects the throat. And the population that it usually affects are, you know, younger population between the age of 15 to 24. And like syphilis, what we discussed can also be gonorrhea can also be transferred to the newborn as well. So, again, our pregnant women are definitely someone that we're going to want to scream for gonorrhea. And I can tell you right now, um, if you become pregnant, your OB is pretty much going to scream for every STD under the sun. Right. So pregnant women, if they are under the care of someone an OB guy and a midwife, someone who's taking care of them and, you know, doing blood work during their pregnancy. They are not going to be surprised by 
gonorrhea or syphilis or um, a lot of these other STDs because they get tested under the sun for it. So the, the pregnant women I'm talking about is the one who aren't one who don't know they're pregnant. And two, may know they're pregnant, but they're not going to even seek care, maybe because they think they can't afford it or they, there's not a health clinic around where they can get that support. So it affects, so pregnant women are definitely someone we always try to be very mindful of when we're talking about gonorrhea. And men, gonorrhea causes this burning sensation while we're urinating. And it causes a white, yellowish discharge from our penis, right? So those are two symptoms. Those are the two very most common symptoms. Also usually causes some pain and discomfort. But for women, and this is why, you know, we have to be, that's why it's so important, right? Especially like to get tested and, you know, to always kind of know your status, right? Women will usually present with zero symptoms, so I want y'all to kind of think about that, right? So I've talked about like how like terrible this disease is, right? Infertility, uh, you know, pregnancy loss and all, of, you know, increased risk of HIV. And if you're a woman, there's a likely chance that you could have gonorrhea and not even know it. Because for a majority of women, you don't even present with a single symptom. It's not to say that you can't have symptoms, but for a majority of women, you don't present with a single symptom pointing to gonorrhea, a lot of times your symptoms make it look like it may be just a general urinary infection or a general, you know, uh, yeast infection or what like because those symptoms will kind of like mask itself in, in the setting of gonorrhea. And that's why it's extremely important, again, you know, to, to get tested and to know your status, because especially for my women. Right. I, and I really when I talk about SCDs, yes, I'm 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 talking to the men. I'm, you know, of course, you know, I'm, I'm biased. I got to talk to men. I got to make sure my men are being healthy. But I got to make sure I'm taking care of my women because the women are the ones who are you know being ravaged by these diseases. And a lot of times it's not their fault. A lot of times, you know, someone's giving them a disease and they don't know it. Sometimes a person who's given the disease doesn't even know they have disease because there's a lot of diseases that are asymptomatic in men as well. But in particular, gonorrhea sometimes will have no symptoms in women, right? So very important. Again, if they do have symptoms, again, a lot of times it gets mistaken for like a urinary tract infection. Sometimes they'll have, you know, painful burning urination. They'll have increased vaginal discharge. Again, does this sound familiar? Again, it doesn't really sound like gonorrhea. It sounds like your normal yeast infection or urinary infection that you, you may always get. Sometimes they get bleeding during periods. But again, if you're a woman who always gets bleeding during periods, again, that's not something you're going to point to or even know. For both men and women, uh, because we know there is some uh, rectal transmission, you can get some discharge, some itching, some bleeding, some painful bowel movements as well, too. So that's another, you know, sign and symptom to kind of think about when we talk about the gonorrhea in, in that regards and testing. Right. So how do we know if a person has gonorrhea? T urine testing is usually the most common and the most quickest way to do it. Um, they are, especially for my women, they, the OBs can do, uh, cervical swabs as well, but I know usually I just order urine, urine cultures, and then I'm able to kind of get my answer right then and there. Cause right now, right now we got two treatment courses right now. We got an IV version and a pill. And, and I say, and because that means, cause I, I'm telling you, you have to take two medications, right? And what the first medication I talked about, the pill form was azithromycin, right? That quote unquote, that Z pack, right? The one that, you know, your doctors and your urgent cares and your emergency room uh, physicians are giving out like candy. Uh, and I, I feel strongly, especially from a pr public health perspective, 
that I think a lot of the resistance to, uh, especially from azithromycin, is the fact that we keep giving it to people for like these common colds that really don't need any medication. We just keep giving. And then if you're going to give a person that I tell, I tell my uh, colleagues all the time, right? If you're going to give a person an antibiotic because you feel they really need an antibiotic, give them a penicillin. Like stop giving them you know, these, these are good antibiotics because we don't really have that much left. And, you know, I can, you know, caveat on why we don't have a lot of antibiotics out there, but that's that thing. That's why it's important for really us to be mindful of, you know, how we're prescribing these medications. Because again, now we're running into the super bug, right? Because, and then if the trend holds up, if the trends holds up, we will start seeing gonorrhea not only resistant resistant to the azithromycin we'll also see a resistant to rocephin and then what do you do and like that from a public health perspective scares me because if if my treatment options again i went from having in 1980s three four five different medications i could have gave you and now i'm down to about two and really down to like one and a half like that's that's a problem right because what's going to happen you're going to get a gonorrhea infection and I'm going to have to put you inside the hospital, right? To give you antibiotics for, through via an IV because that's the only way I'm going to be able to treat it, right? And that's a problem that we're running into. And that's something that I foresee uh, will occur if we don't kind of, you know, one, you know, practice safe sex, obviously. And then two, work on, you know, our prevention, work on diagnosing early and work on treating and treating when we need to. And, you know, stop, you know, giving our medications, you know, our Z packs away for like the common cold when the common cold caused by a virus. Last but not least, right? Last but not least. And of course, unfortunately, the, the star of the show is Mr. Usher Raymond, right? And this guy, you know, great singer, right? Has been in the news um, very like for I think like the past three to four weeks. I usually again I usually be trying to avoid like these celebrity uh, type news, especially in this you know health related uh, podcast and videos I do. But you know when when it when it comes to rise where you know our celebrity and health kind of like cross paths, you know I, I feel like you know I feel like almost an obligation to kind of like shed some light out there, right? Because unfortunately I'm starting to see a lot of incorrect information out there and. For those who know, I'm I'm pretty social. Again, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on you know, Instagram, I'm on all these like social media outlets, right? And I always one thing that I notice, I always see a lot of people who I know aren't educated from a medical standpoint saying a lot of like medically related statements as if they're like 100% fact, right? So I want to be able to like kind of put it out there now, put the notion out there now. Let's talk about herpes. And let's talk about, you know, all the stuff that's going on. Right. So Mr. Mr. Usher Raymond. Right. He's being sued. Right. Uh, because he he did not disclose that he had herpes. Right. And, you know, I got I got some issues with that. Right. So I got some issues from from a uh, public health perspective. Right. And we'll talk about that. And the reason why he got sued is because it was found out in recent court documents uh, that he had to settle uh, with somebody else. I don't know who somebody um, as far as giving that person or exposing that person to, you know, herpes. And and again, and and I'm very key on saying exposing and not infecting. Right. Because in the general scheme of things. Right. Especially when we talk about infection. Right. Like it's very difficult. Right. To like say. Like the herpes that he has is the one that infected her. 
It's very difficult to say that, right? Why? Because we don't re- we do not. And I'm not saying that we cannot. We do not do like DNA testing on Pacific herpes viruses. We just don't. Um, we will do it for like diseases like HIV because we kind of we want to kind of know exactly which specific type we're dealing with, especially when it comes to treatment. But for herpes, we do not. And in this case, uh, I guess he was having sexual relations with this person. And about two to three weeks later, she started developing these sores. And because she was monogamous or say she was monogamous, you know, she was able to point back and say, hey, you gave me something. And then at that time, he kind of admitted, hey, yeah, I was diagnosed with herpes. I think it was like if I, I read the court documents and I definitely you know encourage all of my people especially when y'all like are sharing this type of news like to actually read um like the documents that say it right because again you know you don't want to like sound crazy when you're online uh read the court documents and it said that uh he did confirm that he was diagnosed in like 2009 2010 and her doctor confirmed that she had never had disorder before so i'm assuming for some reason the doctor tested it and the reason why i say for some reason is because uh screening for herpes is not recommended by the cdc right so i'm not sure why he would have tested her in the past but maybe she was pregnant or something and something that would have caused her to be tested in regards but she got tested right so what's been happening on social media aspect right is everyone's saying that usher has infected uh, this lady with herpes, right? Because I think now there's like two or three more lawsuits like afterwards, right? So it's it's getting crazy, right? Which which is not surprising, because that's that's what tends to happen, right? When they see when they, when the, when a shark sees blood in the water, they go. So what's happening is that now they're having uh, multiple lawsuits, and you know he's under fire, and of course their uh, Usher's team isn't really concerned in, in that regard. Which again, it's it's very difficult, right? Because from a public health perspective, right, and we're going to talk about you know herpes and some of the ner- numbers with herpes, right? To say you know what's really kind of going on, right? So like, I want to like just talk about herpes. We're going to talk about in general what herpes is. So let's let's give some quick facts right after it. Like herpes obviously is a sexually transmitted disease. There are actually two types: type one, type two, right? And let's let's give some some numbers out, right? So genital herpes, right, is the most the herpes is the most common cause for genital ulcers in the U.S. And a very key f- factor to kind of like differentiate genital herpes sores versus maybe like a syphilis sores is that herpes is extremely painful so if you hear and my medical students who are listening or who already know like if you hear painful genital ulcer you're already thinking herpes you are not thinking syphilis right and that's how like us in the medicine world kind of be are able to like delineate like oh nope that's syphilis oh no that's herpes right because even because the source will sometimes may look like they usually don't but may look like um type one type one again there are two types are usually is usually contacted during childhood think about it right so type one usually contacted during childhood whereas type two is usually contacted during puberty and reason why it's during puberty or usually why it's during those those years of puberty is that's when uh, sexual activity uh begins to increase right and uh, indirectly like for patients who especially for children and this is just a you know i don't know how many pediatricians are following uh, the podcast but you know you can always drop your comment let me know for type a type 2 like sore genital sore if it's found on a child that's actually a concern for sexual abuse right so if we see a type 
too sore on a child, especially a genital sore. And that's going to be a concern for like child abuse. Right. So, again, just to kind of like shoot some numbers and facts out there. So this is what's concerning for me. Right. In terms of when we talk about like exposure, infection, and everything else. Right. By the age of 30. 50 percent of patients who are what we consider in a high socioeconomic status will be positive for herpes virus. Right. 50 percent. 80 percent by the age of 30 will in a lower socioeconomic status will be positive for the herpes virus as well, right? So think about that, right? By the time you're 30, 50% of the population will have a positive result if I tested them for herpes, which is why the CDC does not recommend us doing it, right? And that's if you're a high socioeconomic status, right? The reason why they split it up is because people were assuming that herpes was like a poor person's disease, right? And we learned very quickly that, nope, it is not, Um by the and this is even I think this is even more funny. This should probably like you know turn to feathers, right? By the fifth decade of your life, by the time you're about fifty, right, ninety percent of adults will have antibodies for herpes, right? And again, when I'm testing for herpes, that's what I'm testing for. I'm testing for the actual antibodies for it. So ninety percent by the time you're fifty, right, it's a ninety percent chance you will be positive for herpes, right? Again, which is the number one reason why CDC does not recommend us just be routinely testing people because like. I'll have them go crazy, right? And I can tell you in my office, I discourage my patients from checking if they have uh, herpes all the time, right? Especially if they've never had any outbreak. If you never had an outbreak, I do not want to be testing you. Why? Because the chance is so high that you're going to be positive and then you're going to be coming back to me with a million other questions. And I try to stop that right in the beginning, right? Worldwide, 23 million new cases of herpes uh, will occur. 23 million worldwide. And from a, a racial demographic standpoint, 45% of those cases, especially here in the United States, uh, will be uh, for blacks. 22% Hispanics. 17% white will be positive for type 2. Again, type 2 is predominantly uh, becomes affected in puberty and that sexual activity stage of it. So why is why is that important, right? Especially why 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 are those numbers those numbers um, you know shouldn't be like well it's not surprising to m- most of us in the health field, but I know in the public health in the public realm, like I know folks are like, what do you mean like like that's crazy because they don't even think about it. And genital herpes that's the one they know about. That's the one they talk about the most, right? Like when we talk about the types, type one typically, and I'm gonna say typically causes oral sores right type 1 uh, herpes usually causes oral sores well and and predominantly type 2 will cause the genital sores but in people who are young or people who are immunocompromised or gay men or bisexual men um, type 1 actually causes more genital outbreaks than anything so type one is responsible for more causes of genital outbreaks of herpes when you're young, when you're gay, when you're bisexual male or you're at risk compromise. And that's usually my pregnant women. But there are other types, too. right? Like, again, I know the fanfare usually is on the genital aspect of it. But of course, you can get the oral sores. Right. We call we call that medical world herpes labialis. Uh, you can get herpetic whitlow, which is actually herpes that occurs on the finger. And uh, people who tend to get affected for that are people who usually don't wear gloves but are working with, 
you know, uh, like the dentist, right? The dentist, like, again, I don't know a dentist who doesn't wear gloves, but let's say you got a dentist who's someone, some crazy person who doesn't wear gloves or someone maybe bites you. Let's think about that's That's probably a better example. Let's say someone bites you. Someone bites you, uh, you have a risk of like transferring herpes onto the finger and it shows up like a, a, a skin lesion as well. Um, you can get herpes on the face, arm, neck, or even uh, the trunk of your body. And a lot of times that's just from skin to skin contact. Think about like your wrestlers. Your wrestlers are going to be more likely to be affected by that. And uh, eczema herpeticum, which is pretty much herpes that kind of is superimposed onto patients who deal with chronic eczema, chronic ectopic dermatitis and everything else kind of under the sun there. So that's why it's important. Right. So when we talk about herpes, right, I know genital herpes gets like the fanfare. But we got to remember, this can be affected by uh, this can affect a lot of different organ systems. And a lot of y'all, a lot of my listeners right now. Right. If you're. You know, by 30 years old, right, you're at there's at least a 50 percent chance that you already have the antibodies, even if you've never, ever shown uh, had a cold sore, a gentle sore or anything. Right. So I just want you to think about that. Right. Especially when you talk about being able to sue someone for an exposure aspect of it. Right. Because honestly, I can tell you right now. Uh, a lot of people could start getting sued uh, for exposure, right? Because a lot of people honestly just don't know they have it, right? Because we don't test them for it, right? So let's talk about, let's do a little quick focus on genital herpes, you know. Let's talk about what happens in women, right? In women, uh, painful, vesicular, and those are like almost like clear fluid-like lesions, um, affects the external and the internal genitalia, right? Sometimes it affects the internal genitalia where, you know, they just get pain or discomfort while they're urinating, pain while having sex, and, you know, because the herpes definitely likes to affect the mucosal areas. And men, men get, you know, painful lesions on the penis, scrotum, on the butt, on the thighs, you know, pretty much, you know, wherever in that genital urinary area, men can get lesions on and when the herpes starts actually tracking back up the urethra, which is, you know, quote, unquote, let's consider our pee hole. Um, when the herpes infection actually travels back up the urethra, you can have, you know, severe discharge, severe burning urination and painful urination. So that so those are our symptoms. Right. And when we move on. Right. When you when you when all of these things have happened and you finally walked into your doctor's office. Right. What can that doctor do for you? Well, for one just, you know, want to encourage you and counsel you that there is no cure for herpes, right? It hurt, you know, uh, Usher was diagnosed in, like, in 2009. He was diagnosed in 2009, and he will always have herpes. It's not going away. And it's important to know that, especially when you become infected uh, with herpes from a mental standpoint, right? That's a very, it's a huge diagnosis, right? It's not like syphilis. It's not like gonorrhea. It's not like chlamydia, right? It's not like I can give you an antibiotic and it goes away and you don't have to worry about it. You, you do have to worry about it coming back again, especially if you, you know, partake, part, partake in some of those same activities, but you don't have to worry about that same disease, right? coming back right but herpes hiv those are like the uh, the viral ones those are the ones that are don't go anywhere so when we talk about treatment for herpes we talk about treating the outbreaks of herpes we talk about um, treating it with antivirals including like valtrex acyclovir those are our two most common ones there's a couple others but those are our two most common ones you'll get in an outpatient office um you know avoiding sexual contact is big especially during outbreaks during treatment but remember that you do not have to have a sexual out like a sexual. Remember, you do not have to have an out, a genital outbreak, right, to be still passing on uh, the virus, right. And I think that's 
you know, where Usher's problem really comes into play, right? Is that he may not have had any outbreak during the time he was having sexual relations with that lady. But the problem is because you got that virus, because that virus never goes anywhere, you always have that risk of passing it on, right? So I think so that's where, you know, his problem lies, right? His problem lies is one, he knew that he had the disorder and he didn't disclose that he did had the disorder. And, you know, from a time standpoint, there was enough evidence to say that, you know, he was the likely one to expose uh, the, pay, the, the the girl in, in that regards. Right. So that's, you know, that's, you know, the, those those three things. Right. Herpes, syphilis, gonorrhea, those three STDs were something that, you know, been in the news a lot in this past, you know, six months. And it's something that, you know, from a public me, the physician becomes very concerned. Uh, because again, STDs and uh, is a very issue that I you know I used to see a lot in my outpatient practice. But also, um, from a public health perspective, like it's very I think being knowledgeable of you know what the risk factors are, how can you get it, how can you prevent it, how you can treat it, um, will go a long way for you guys. Okay, again, so again, this is a special edition of the Lunch and Learn. Hope you enjoyed it, and you know I'm gonna see you guys on Thursday. Thank you for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I hope you enjoyed that episode like I enjoyed giving you that episode for your listening pleasure. If you want, please join the community. Please tell a friend to tell a friend to join the community. I'm over at Twitter. I'm over at Facebook. I'm over, I'm even over at Pinterest. Like I'm everywhere. Everywhere where you want to be, I'm probably there. My username is pretty much the same everywhere you go. LunchLearnPod.com lunch learn pod at facebook lunch learn pod at twitter and the hashtag that we're using especially when you're listening to the episode and you want to share it and you want to tell all your friends is lunch learn pod as well all one word and before i let you go please do me a favor head over to apple Podcasts, google play soundcloud stitcher radio TuneIn radio wherever you like to hear listen to your podcast and even if you like listening on my website Leave me a comment. Leave me a review. Let me know how I'm doing. Leave me even a comment to say, hey, I'd like to hear about this topic versus that topic. And I'll be gladly able to kind of squeeze that in on the schedule. And you guys continue to have a great and blessed day. And I'm going to see you guys next week.